Hello and welcome everyone to episode 220 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast on the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined once again by Ryan and Paul. Uh, guys, how, how are you guys doing? We're doing this on a, a Monday night. Hopefully your guys' night is going a little bit better than Kyler Murray's right now. <laughs> um, it's going better than Kyler Murray's. I, I put out the call for RAE questions earlier than normal this week, and... We currently have 17 Patreon questions for RAE tomorrow. Wow. So, uh, so uh, if you were thinking of asking on Twitter, you uh, you might want to become a patron if you want to get your question read. How many of yeah, those but... were basically just pure panic? Um, How screwed are they against the 49ers? That kind of thing. Yeah, just like... just. <laughs> I don't think anybody thinks that. No. So. Is that no. not? Okay. I, I thought I was getting a whiff of that. No, uh, well, maybe I'm just hanging out with nerds too much, but uh, our consensus, <laughs> consensus around us is that um, they are pretty good against the 49ers and they should be fine in this game. There are a, there are a few caveats to that, but um, it's it's not a it's not a terrible draw for them at all. Well, and the offensive line should be fine, right? Like that's the uh, if you want the quick and dirty version. Um, the, <laughs> Don't give everything away, but yeah. yeah I mean, the, the, the real key to beating the 49ers um, is to tackle well in front of you because Jimmy Garoppolo is bad. He's a bad quarterback. They're built to play with a bad quarterback, and they're built to do that by throwing to like the best yak team in the NFL. Debo Samuel like is by far the best yak receiver in the NFL by like a country mile. Kittle's really good, too. Brendan Ayuk had a good second half doing that. And so as long as you let those guys catch the ball in front of you and make your tackles, um, you will stop the offense. Uh, if you can get ahead of them and make them throw deep, you'll pick them off two or three times. It's just a matter of of having that happen. Um, so they are actually been a very good tackling team this year because of Devondre Campbell. Um, mostly, they have Kenny Clark there to get up the middle pressure and get stuff off of him. Uh, they should be honestly fine against the 49ers. They also run basically the same, not the same, but a very similar offense. So they don't get tricked as much as a lot of the other teams do against Kyle Shanahan. Um, and on offense, the 49er defense is okay, but it's nothing great. They should be able to score fine. They're the 31st team against number one receivers. They're the 31st team against deep passing. Um, all you got to do is bomb to Devontae a bunch, and you should be totally fine in this game. No problem. Yeah, okay. I, so, <laughs> go. go for it. <laughs> that's the, the game in a nutshell. I, Quick I'd and say dirty I version. Was, there's there's yeah. caveats and stuff, but that, that's that's it. I was going to say, I, I was right. maybe more... I mean, the more, Cowboys uh, almost beat him. I was going to say, it's not like it was a convincing win, right? I'd be I'd be more concerned if if uh, they kind of ran away with it like they thought they were going yep. to early on and, and just kind of let them hang around. I, I'm more concerned about Tampa because that defense still looks scary as hell. But again... Yes, you should be. You should be yeah. rooting hard against whoever plays. You should be rooting hard for the Rams tonight, which no problem, and uh, for them <laughs> next week against Tampa as well. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Uh, so, yeah, plenty, of, obviously, to talk about on the football side. We also have some things on the baseball side to talk about uh, with some actual conversations happening. So, you know, there's there's that happening. Uh, but before we jump into that, let's just start, as always, reminding you, you can become a patron. Sign up for as little as two bucks a month at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. As Paul mentioned there, you get that question priority not only on this podcast, but as well as the Packers reporting as eligible podcast. Five bucks a month gets you some extra content as well. You'll get Paul's preview of the uh, Packers 
uh, second round divisional round matchup against the 49ers. You also get the minor league extra podcast on the baseball side with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire and uh, plenty to talk about on that too, as well in the last week. So uh, we're going to dive into that a little bit later. We got a question about some of those international signings, but uh, be sure to sign up for that $5 level. You get that entire breakdown of that international free agent period as well. So be on the lookout for that. Um, aside from that, we we actually had some labor talks. So we don't have to yeah, sit yeah. here and pontificate on constitutional law this week. We can actually talk about some things that actually happened. So I'm excited for that, even though, you know, it, it, it wasn't much. But I guess when the, the bar to clear was no talks at all. Uh, <laughs> hey, improvement. So we're, we're moving forward here. Uh, it sounds like they talked via Zoom and the talks didn't really go anywhere, but they did at least talk. Uh, hitting some of the bullet points I, on, uh, I guess, what the, the ownership wants, right? Uh, they still seem to be very much uh, pushing to expand playoffs from 10 to 14 teams. Still want to look at that international draft idea. There's some draft lottery ideas uh, kind of floating around to kind of prevent tanking, but with only three teams involved instead of everybody who misses the playoffs, like the NBA, uh, the owners, of course, would really want to eliminate Super 2 and, and all that kind of thing. And uh, this is kind of weird, rewarding draft picks for having top 100 press prospects on the opening day roster if they win an award. So again, I guess maybe trying to, quote unquote, fix the idea of keeping guys down. Uh, and of course, things like the universal DH also being talked about as well. Uh, but as we mentioned, those talks didn't last very long, but longer than they have been. So I guess overall, Ryan, any more optimistic than you were this time last week, knowing that they actually had an actual conversation? I mean, not really. I don't think <laughs> that this moves the needle really very far at all. Um, just to yeah, pick out some of the things. Players are still saying 12. I think they're going to eventually go for 14, provided they can get enough for it. Uh, the like right now, Jeff Passan was on Kevin Goldstein's podcast this last week, and he was very clear about the fact that, yeah, as a employee of ESPN, he would love for them to have more playoff games because this whole wild card round is all going to be ESPN. So whatever they come up with, if they go to another uh, if they add another set of games, whatever they, they end up doing here, all of that is ESPN coverage. So he was pretty clear about that. And ownership is, is salivating because that deal is done with ESPN and it is for uh, tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know if anybody knows mm -hmm. the exact amount, but they are already set and have already sold rights to playoff games that do not exist right now. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that Great just kind business. of tells you everything. And so now they want to, they want to get the, the players on board and the players should make them pay through the nose for it. it. They really should, especially because, and I'm sure they have people looking at this, but they really do run the danger if that, if depending on how that is all formatted and how that's all set up, they could run into a real problem where uh, you start disincentivizing winning. We already saw it a bit with uh, when uh, the wild card went from one wild card to two wild cards and you had to play the playing game to get through uh, that disincentivized winning the wild card by quite a bit. And you saw teams that were maybe had a shot at, at like the, the 
one of the wild cards, but they were out of uh, out of it for the division. Didn't really push for it the way that maybe you would expect because they looked at it as, well, at best, we're a coin flip to get in. And so that is a problem. And depending on how they, they figure out how to structure all this, the players have to be extremely careful not to disincentivize teams from doing everything they can to rack up basically the most wins, which means you have to have some sort of tiered playoff system, right? You have to have something that rewards a team winning 98 versus 92 versus 87. If we're going to have all those teams get into the playoffs, there has to be material differences between winning those levels, or it's just going to be an absolute shit show. Yeah. Um, all of that is absolutely correct, and uh, the expanded playoffs really are a a player salary depressor from the owner's perspective. Uh, the, yes, they make a bunch more money on playoffs. Like this is a total win for the owners across the board. But while the players might see a little bit more money from the revenue from those games, uh, making the regular season less important has a big impact on that. When you, you you're injecting a lot more luck into who wins the World Series. Um, that means that the cost of skill goes down, and that is uh, what player economists should be saying to the players. And aside from all that, I also agree with Ryan. There's no reason to be optimistic about anything. Um, negotiations at this point are mostly for show. It's good they talked. Like it's good that they're not so mad at each other that they're not communi- that they are. You know, they need to start talking. The season's supposed to start soon. But a lot of the topics that came up here, like the DH and stuff like that, are just things that fans sort of care about that don't actually matter that much from a labor negotiation perspective and and framing of um, things that the owners, both sides do this, but that, that everybody knows that people kind of want and throw them out there to make the other side look like the entrenched jerk. So that's kind of what you're looking at so far on these negotiations. It's good they talked. It's better than not talking at all. Um, but this is all just nonsense at this point. Nothing substantive happened and probably won't for months still. They're still kind of talking at each other as opposed to with each other, right? I mean, that's kind of the gist yeah. here. Yeah, and there's some interesting stuff here that they're trying to add more and more formulas to things here. And you can <laughs> yeah. see it like, okay, first off, we're going to do this. Uh, this draft lottery, which is only going to be three teams, meaning that teams will have to, once you're in that top three, it's not about who has the worst record, but it's about, you know, the ping pong balls, basically. Yeah. And that isn't really going to do anything to discourage tanking because getting into that top three is still going to be an incredible uh, value to a team. So there's still going to be a lot of incentive for teams to do that. And the players had said eight, like that was their what one of the things they wanted to do. The other thing that's really weird here is this nonsense about having giving a draft pick to a team that has a guy who ends up winning like an award in their first Mm -hmm. six control (laughs) years uh, who is on a top 100 list. And they were like, we're going to it's a yeah, it's a pointless and dumb idea. It's to (laughs) get people to talk about stupid crap. Yeah, I mean, and like the people who are tasked with making these lists have been talking about this on various podcasts and are not Mm -hmm. happy about it. They're like, no, do not make me like responsible for who's getting paid and who's not like this is absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. Like, why wouldn't you just have it be anybody who is on the opening day roster in a given year? And that's actually in and of itself tricky, because if you think about it, 
Okay, well, would that have included, say, let's say Orlando Arcee had turned into the player that we had all hoped he was going to be, okay? And he was up in August of 2015 or whatever that was, 2016. He came up, like, right away, uh, in right after the trade deadline. Right after they yep. had they'd made their trades, they brought him up. And so, would he count? Or is that, like, because... Nope. It, like he because he's on the opening day roster for the next year then and he wasn't like getting uh like a a service time manipulation for the previous year so it just how exactly any of that was going to work is stupid and really they're they're trying to do whatever they can to try to paper over the the core issues here which is the 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 six year reserve system is not working, and it's it needs like a serious from the ground overhaul. And they're just trying to paper over the cracks here because, of course, ownership doesn't want it to go anywhere because it benefits them to the tune of probably hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Oh, absolutely. Yep. So they don't yep. want to mess with that in any way, shape, or form. They don't even want to put it on the table for discussion. So right. yeah, that's that was one of the formula things. The international draft is coming, and basically, I think everybody's kind of now sort of in favor of that. So that's coming. Uh, what was the other weird thing with a formula? Oh, the Arby status. Yeah. So the super no two more super thing. two. Yeah. And they were gonna yeah. they're gonna get rid of it and replace it with a formula. Well, the yep. the Arby super two itself is a formula. So I don't know what it is. What formula <laughs> you're gonna replace the formula with? Like. You always got to be aware of formulas with monopolies uh, and everybody right. experiences this in, in their everyday life where um, a lot of the hardest companies to deal with in your everyday life um, make pricing very difficult for you to see uh, as a function of just you getting tired and just paying what they want you to pay. Um, comp- competitive industries don't do that. Baseball is, of course, very not competitive. And uh, any formula here is going to be well understood by ownership. And uh, it's going to be harder to understand for the other side. I'm sure they can make it happen. But I, I assure you, the proposers have thought long and hard about the long-term consequences of any formula they put into place. And uh, it will not be to the benefit of everybody. Rules should be simple. And um, anytime you're adding complexity uh, that looks fair, there's always something going on behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah and this yeah. comes down to the whole trust issue where... MLB players are going to basically say to anything ownership says, we don't trust you. And right. why should they? Because they've been rooked again and again in all these deals. Like they have been screwed over the last two CBAs. They shouldn't trust anything coming out of the ownership side. Like they should just not. So yeah, it's not great. Yeah. It's still a long ways to go in these conversations, given that, level of distrust too uh we actually have some patreon questions specifically about some of these uh proposals so let's just jump right in our first one comes from pj wessels pj is asking would you rather have the one game wild card that the playoffs have now or do what the nfl does where the best records would get a buy and the other two division winners would play a series against the wild card teams uh paul your thoughts on this uh, would that kind of solve some of the competitive issues or or not really? Well, it would do it in a way. It, I, I don't care for the buy idea in baseball, especially. I think having too long of a time off is is weird and screws up pitching and stuff like that. Not that you can't have throw days and whatnot. But uh, it, 
I mean, football makes a lot of sense. Like you just beat the crap out of people and it's nice to have an extra week to heal from having the crap beat out of you. Um, and it, it's a fine way to get more teams into the playoffs. It's a nice incentive to have. It's just like, it's not as an important in baseball where you don't have like people on the concussion list for three weeks that you're waiting to have come off. You know, injuries happen in baseball, but they, they tend to not be solved by an extra week or whatever. Um, so it's fine, but I hate the expanded playoffs, and I hate thinking about what my preferred thing is for any expanded playoff. And I, I like the one game wild card. I like the incentives it puts forth. It, it's just, I, I think, not my ideal, but it's closer to my ideal than what we're going to get anytime soon. And uh, I, I'd rather have everybody playing. Like I'd rather have teams actually playing games than just sitting around doing nothing, especially if it's my team. So like in football, it's I can watch other football games and be really entertained. I'm not going to watch like the Cubs play the the Dodgers with the Brewers aren't playing in a playoff game, like for the extra, I just, uh, I hate it. Not, not a fan. So what everybody sort of assumes is coming here is something that looks very much like what happened in 2020, where the wild card round, as it were, is a three game series all played three at the home. Series. Yeah. Yeah. All played at the home field of the team that has the better record. So the team that that finishes higher in the standings would get to host that whole thing. So there'd be no travel day. It would minimize. I mean, if you look at it now, the season always ends on a Sunday, right? So you'd yeah. be looking at uh, those series probably getting started on Tuesday, probably Tuesday, Wednesday. And that would mean that the uh, the division series would get started on. So if they start on Tuesday, they would go through Thursday. So it'd be Saturday, Sunday would be when those the division series would get going. Mm-hmm. I, is that a too big a layoff for you? Does that fall into being just not playing enough? Because it's not remarkably longer than what they have now with the, with the wild card games already being in there. It just sort of adds like an extra because already, you know, right. like if you're if you're Milwaukee this year, they didn't start playing until Friday, correct? Yeah, that is true. Yeah. So like it isn't a huge difference from the one game break as it is. Like it would be be an extra day or two, depending on how it all <laughs> it all shook out there. So I don't know. That part of it I don't have a huge problem with. I would much prefer twelve to fourteen, but we talked about this a bunch in the past. Like I would much prefer twelve to fourteen, and I think that that would give you, you know, like the two best teams in the league would get the buys and then you would have the other ones involved in that best of best of three play-in. And I think that would be fine. It's not it's not ideal, but it's also I, I do like it a little bit more than the uh than the one game play-in, just because I hate to see it a whole season come down to like you fight and fight and fight to qualify for the playoffs and then your season ends in one night like the Brewers in 2019 and it just sucks. Mm. It's just a terrible way. It's an anticlimactic just, you know, awful way pretty, to end that whole it's thing. It's pretty climactic. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's high <laughs> drama for everyone else. We all want to die. But like, yeah. it, it is high drama for everybody else. But the more you introduce that, the more teams you're starting to put in that position, the more it's just going to feel like what a waste of a, of a season. Sure. And so having that three game series, at least, and, and by putting it all at the home field of the team with the better record, I think really does give a substantial advantage to that team. Does it not like it, it really does help them out 
yeah, there's more separation between wild card one and wild card two that way. And I think that's important too, right? Mm-hmm. Because you want to avoid the situation where we've maybe seen there are two clear wild card teams and everybody else is just kind of like, meh, whatever. You know, you, you want to still kind of incentivize trying to get that top wild card spot as well. Right. I think it, it really does put an incentive on a team to say, you know what? You're, you're trending at 89. Maybe you should look at getting 92, 93 at the trade deadline. Sure. You know what I mean? I think that really does put a much more of a, an emphasis on doing that on on teams. And that's what they really need. That Because that is the biggest danger here is that you disincentivize trying by teams in that middle class. Yep. And that you really don't want that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think just my, my to sum up my problem with it is I don't want that round to be a real round. I don't really want it to count as making the playoffs as much as further rounds do because I want teams to try to, um, you know, actually still be really, really good. And so that, that that's a fine bonus. Sometimes it gets a, a super good team in, but you know, if you weren't, weren't going to make it anyway, um, I don't see a big loss. So I, I don't want the more teams in the playoffs. I want uh, whatever <laughs> bonus is okay, but that's it. Yeah. I feel like it we're is, going to four. Yeah. We're going to have 14. We're, it's going to happen. I mean, yeah, it's totally going to happen. Once yeah. they got that in, in 2020, well, was it 16 in 2020? Like, that seemed like their peak ideal. So, uh, yeah, once that happened, it seemed like, okay, this is the trial run. That's right? it, yep. Well, because they had for that, like, that five-day period or whatever it was, that four-day period, they had just baseball wall-to-wall. ESPN yeah. had a midweek, was... and that's that's exactly what they want. Is They basically want a midweek where from... Yeah, they want a March Madness for baseball, basically. It's exactly I mean, what it... Exactly. Yeah. They want that... And they will market the hell out of that. And you know what? Honestly, that might be really good for the sport. That might be something that actually draws in interest and draws in uh, casual fans, sports fans who aren't maybe as into baseball in a way that past stuff didn't. I don't. I know. mean, hell, I was into it, but yeah. all those games sucked, so it was less exciting <laughs> in, in practice than it was in theory. Right? Well, let's try doing it not in the middle of a pandemic with empty stadiums. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think it would be it would be a different thing if you were doing it not with empty stadiums in a pandemic. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to something else, uh, we got a question on. It's something that we've kind of talked about here and there, but on the topic of the universal DH idea, we have a question from Mark Podscarby. He's asking if they implement the DH next season, does Yelich start more games at DH or at left field? Ooh, Ryan, fun. yeah, yeah. What would you do if we had this prop bet right now? What would you put your bet on? God, I would hope it's more games in left field because if it's more games at DH, that means something has gone drastically wrong. And I would be very afraid of what that would mean for the long term with Christian Yelich in that deal if he had to play DH all that amount like yes his defense suffered some last year I think a lot of this is people having like terrible memories of him not looking good defensively towards the end of the season and in the playoffs especially and he doesn't have a long track record of being a bad defender guys like he has a track record of being a good defender especially in left field when he wasn't forced over into right, where he was kind of out of position because he doesn't have the the premium arm you expect in right field, or when he was being pushed into center field, though that was more of the Marlins than with us. We very seldom saw him in center field. But when he was just in left field, he was an exceptional above average left fielder defensively. And yes, that, that has slipped some, but 
I'm really, if, if we're already looking at DH Christian Yelich in 2022, uh, I'm terrified of what that contract's going to look like. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, yes, we should all be terrified of what that contract's going to look like. I'll, I'll take, I'll take the outfield on the bet, but I'll bet he plays a lot of DH because he runs like old Corey Hart. And I think his <laughs> knees and back aren't as in good shape. So I think he'll get a lot of, um, time off rest where he can just hit and, uh, try and keep him healthy that way too i think that there'll be some old man management starting up with christian yelich and that if there's the dh he'll he'll man the spots fairly frequently um they'll still have him in the outfield because he still can move in the outfield and i'm sure he wants to play outfield but uh, i think that he will do uh, his fair share of time there so um it's it's not it's a matter of time but we're not over the hill yet but uh it's uh it's going to be used for that purpose with him kind of a lot it, it does seem a little early to go to the Ryan Braun schedule, right? Of having to uh, have that constant year-round maintenance. It's a little scary to think about, considering that extension is just uh, starting or it hasn't even started yet. So, yeah, but I think maybe it d- does depend, too, on how he's hitting. Like, obviously, it's easier to uh, see or say you're you're okay with the DH if it's helping him stay healthy and he hits better, right? So, I... I don't know. It, there could be a balance there, but obviously, yeah, you do get more value out of a position player than you do any DH, let alone Christian Yelich. So I guess we'll see what happens. Um, all right. We do also have a Twitter question kind of on the topic of the labor talks. So uh, let's jump to the question from Marcus Horton, who's asking, you guys probably get this question a lot, but do you think the lockout will affect spring only affect spring training or will it leak into the start of the 22 22- regular season as well i think we have kind of talked about this in in recent weeks and maybe our optimism or pessimism kind of varies based on the talks but i guess paul given what we heard this week still pessimistic about the season starting on time yeah i think it'll slip into the season uh, there's just a lot of acrimony here it's going to be a tough negotiation yeah it's it's pretty late um in the process even right now and so I, I do think this does slip into the season at least a bit. I think that there, if I'm like sort of handicapping this on a on a graph, I think there's actually a decent chance that they lose a whole bunch of season, a very, very good chance that they lose a small amount of season, and a very, very small chance that they get this done on time. That's kind of where I'm right now. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. It's going to be interesting, and I was trying to think and forecast ahead on this when I saw this question earlier today. I think that as far as time frame, there's going to be a time when MLB comes and says, we have to have a deal now or we're going to have to start pushing back opening day. And that is going to be a huge pressure point that they're going to apply to the players to say, you need to just accept our offer because otherwise you're delaying opening day because they're kind of the ones who are going to say that. Like they're the ones who are going to uh, who are going to push that time frame. Right. They're going to say, we need this much time to get ready for opening day and have it all scheduled and everything and all that. So they're going to they're going to come around with that. And it'll probably be in like early to mid March, like maybe March 7th to March 12th, somewhere in that neighborhood where they're really going to start saying, this is the deadline. You have to to, uh, either come to a deal or we're going to have to push back opening day. And that's going to be that's going to be a big, heavy thing and the players are going to have to stand firm at that point 
And because at that point, you're potentially starting to look at the players missing paychecks. Remember, the players do not get paid in spring training, so they kind of don't give a fuck about that. Like, that's a that's that's really not as important to them. In fact, a lot of them just loathe spring training in general because it's way too long and it's mostly there just to make the owners a bunch of money that they don't have to share with the players. (laughs) So they really... That is going to be a big pressure point, and you can bet the owners are going to put that on the players as opposed to it being a mutual problem, which is what it absolutely will be. But you know that how that's going to get framed. So I think right. we're we're going to get to that point where they at least start threatening that. And I don't know if if that causes whatever. I think from the player's perspective, it would be bad for them not to have a deal by the time actual opening day rolls around. Because now you're looking at like, then it, you sort of like slide off into the abyss and you don't know how long sure. it's going to take. And you're just sort of everybody at that point is a sort of playing chicken. And we'll see. I mean, the, the hope on the, the player side is that the owners really don't have their some ownership groups are fine. We know that some ownership groups are fine. We also know that like the Cleveland Guardians have already been doing a cash call. So. There are some ownership groups that are hurting and can't necessarily stand up to this. Now, how much MLB is going to do to uh, to smooth that out? I don't know. The players have a war chest. Did you have you heard of this, that the players have a war chest ready to go? They have been saving money from uh, not only the dues, but also from licensing rights to basically build up a war chest to be able to. Uh, help the players get through, especially the younger players. I think the ones who don't have the money um, and are more reliant on that that cash flow, they are going to. They have a war chest ready to go. So they've been they've been preparing for this for a couple of years, and they're uh, they're unusually uh, open about that fact. That is definitely a um, a talking point against the owners. That hey guys, uh, you might not want to do this. We are actually very well prepared for it. Um, and we will get everybody paid for quite a while before it starts to hurt us. So keep that in mind when you're locking us out. That is, uh, that is part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is like a game of chicken at this point, right? Like you guys said, the only people losing anything of spring training uh, is canceled as the owners. Although, you know, I, I'm sure there are some pitchers or whatever in the union that would appreciate the ramp up time too, because you know, we're, we're, we're maybe looking at another season where pitching strategies are all just kind of all kinds of screwed up because people didn't have their normal training regimens. Although that's not to say they don't do throwing at home or whatever. You know, the classic Joe Kelly throwing a baseball through his win, win window thing that we saw in the pandemic. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is what high school coaches are for, right? Like, right. You yeah. Know, they can go going to be a lot of all stars on the high school diamonds. <laughs> this spring, there so. are. You are absolutely right about that. There and at and at colleges and at uh, right. junior colleges especially. Yeah, yeah you're going to see some big college names. is going to have yeah some dude throwing ninety eight to some poor overwhelmed nineteen year old. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right, <laughs> um, I guess let's shift gears then. Uh, enough about the the depressing labor talk. A happier question here on Patreon from Steve Romanesco. 
He's asking, what's your favorite good story around a Brewers player throughout history? Like a Freddie Peralta with 13 strikeouts in his MLB debut as his family happens to be there on Mother's Day kind of situation. Ryan, what's your favorite feel-good moment? So I think I've talked about this on here before, but I used to work with, at the time, I worked with the woman sitting next to Bill Hall's mom on Pink Bat Mother's Day walk-off. What was that, 2007? Yes. Yeah. So the every shot, every time you see that that game, you will see the woman sitting next to her. She's got like curly hair and she's wearing a yellow jacket and the look of surprise on her face. And then like she turns and looks at Bill Hall's mom like that was a coworker of mine. Somebody I knew who. Uh, uh, yeah. So that one that one has always had a special place in my heart. I did not see that live. I was listening to it on the radio because uh, I was at the hospital with my, I guess, uh, step grandfather. Uh, had had a, a slip and a fall on Mother's Day. So that wasn't that wasn't great. We were at the hospital because of that. But uh I remember listening to it on the radio and going, wow, that was very unexpected. So yep. yeah. Mine would be um kind of random, but I, I remember listening to this game very well. Um Damian Miller hit a three yes. run walk off home run. Uh, I think it's Astros day. Yes. On, on lacrosse day where he's from there. So um, just to add a little color to that, so um, there was a promotion going on at the time where if you went uh, to the place where you can get the engraved bat at Miller Park um, and you, you would pick out a player at the beginning of the game, and if they hit a walk-off home run, you'd get a bat for free with their name engraved on it. Oh, man. And nor- normally, nobody would ever pick Damian Miller. Oh, but right. right. Literally everybody who knows Damian Miller was at the game. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so um, that that promotion actually paid off um, for the first and only possible time it ever would pay off. Um, so right. um, that was a fun moment of a guy performing well in front of his hometown crowd and, and getting them a win. Yes. As, as uh, someone who say, uh, shares the same high school as Damian Miller, that was, that was a great day in West Salem, Wisconsin history, just outside of lacrosse. Uh, and yeah, that's the only time ever. Damian Miller merchandise probably would be sold too because he was not a member of the players union because that is, of that is also correct <laughs> oh was he one of the guys who wasn't yes Damian yeah. Miller was a scab yes that is also correct. oh so him and Millar who are can you think of any others I didn't realize Damian Miller had scab during 95 that, I, I yeah I don't know I only know him because he was on the team and it, it came up in a couple stories so yep hmm. Yeah, he was a long toiling minor league catcher in the twin system and, and yep. jumped at the opportunity to finally play in the big leagues and it, it cost him. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, that's that's, you know, as somebody with ties to that area, too, that might be my favorite feel good story moment, too, just because he was my favorite player for a while. Uh, very cool. He got to win a World Series and, and catch Randy Johnson and, and that kind of thing, too. So, yeah, uh, Damian Miller is also my marriage. Good luck charm. Saw him uh, a couple minutes before I got married, walking by my the bus at the uh, Riverfront Park. What is the name of that park, no, James? In Lacrosse, uh, Riverside Park. Riverside, Riverside, Park. Riverside yeah. Park. Yeah, Riverside yep. Park in Lacrosse. He went walking by our bus, and Steve was like, "Hey, <laughs> it's David Miller." <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds? That's awesome. All right, uh, moving on. We got a Jay Google question here. 
Uh, so Steve Carsey stepped down in the last week as the Brewers bullpen coach. You should maybe mention that uh, by all accounts did some pretty good work. But Jay is wondering, Ryan, who are some of the candidates <laughs> to replace Steve Carsey in the Brewers organization? And I ask you because I'm pretty sure Jay is just screwing with you on this. One. Yeah, I think he is, too. Like, no, I, I don't have that. Uh, encyclopedic knowledge of what's going on inside the the Brewers organization and who they would actually pluck for that role because I don't know in their the way they have things set up exactly what that role entails how much that person is doing what exactly they're would they want to pull somebody who's say their roving minor league uh, pitching coordinator or whatever and have them in that role or would that be like underutilizing them I don't know so yeah, I a big shrug from me on this one, uh, <laughs> except to say that it'll probably be somebody good because the Brewers know what the hell they're doing with pitching, and they surely have people within the organization that they would you know be happy to promote up there, or they could just you know hire somebody from the street too. So there's <laughs> plenty of other wow. of other options. It could be anybody, literally anybody. It could be Paul. Uh, wow. Probably not. Probably not me. <laughs> I have no idea how to pitch or anything so yeah Yeah. Um, you can answer a phone and say hey or get up in the ninth inning so you know there's that i feel like um relief pitching in particular is very much a a dictated philosophy um i feel like hitting is more art and pitching is more science generally and so this this will probably follow organizational philosophy more than trying to find some wonderkind and more are is more likely than anything to be an internal promotion of some kind that'd be my guess um who knows could be wrong but uh i think once you build up the academy and have the way that you want to handle everybody that you have people in the org that are on board with the methodology they use and they'll probably promote from within with someone they trust yeah i'm sure chris hook has plenty of people he spent a lot of time in this organization (laughs) so i'm sure that he has a list of people that he would like to work with and that you know i'm sure they would get a substantial salary bump from wherever they are to this job. So uh, I would imagine a lot of people would like to do it. Sure. Yeah. Help. Yeah. John Axford's rehab, right. Rehabbing Tommy John surgery. Just make him the bullpen coach and, and pay for his surgery. And, and there you go. I don't well, know. Well, Jim Henderson is a coach in their system somewhere too. Yeah. Big Hendo is, is working somewhere. So yep. yeah, let's just get the entire band back together. That works for me. All right. Uh, next Patreon question comes from Cohen Brockoff. He's saying, "Happy uh, hi guys, happy new year." When I look at Rowdy Telez, I feel nothing but love. Do we need to entrust him with the everyday role? How viable is a trade for Matt Olson? What would the crew have to give up to get Matt Olson? Uh, Ryan, I guess first questions first is Rowdy the everyday first baseman. Do you trust him in that role? I trust him to a point. I don't have a problem going into the season with him in that role, but you better have a damn good plan B. And I think they may already have that with uh, is it Ben Broussard. Like they already, they've already sort of given themselves some uh, some options here. But yeah, I think that if you're going to do that, you need to make sure that you have a a, a good backup plan in place. And it's not Ben Broussard. Yeah. No, ben Broussard Mike is, I, was, I was Googling. Ben Broussard <laughs> has been probably retired for a while. Yeah, Mike different Brousseau, generation entirely. Like, yeah. yeah, he's yeah, older yeah. than I am. Yeah. yeah. Well, make it so, a comeback. Anyway, yeah, Mike Brousseau, who they got from, from Tampa right kind of before everything shut down, that would be 
yeah, kind of a, a place to start with a backup plan. I think that if they do end up with a DH this year, they're going to want to add somebody else of significance for not necessarily to take the job away from from Tellez, but another big corner bat guy who is an other option besides what they've already got there. I think that would that would right. definitely call for them to add something. Maybe even as far as say Nelly Cruz. I I don't know. What do you think of that? Uh, I don't know what to think of that. It'd be it'd be <laughs> fine. Here, here here's what I think just generally of the Brewers. I don't think are going to spend a ton of resources on first base. Uh, they tend to just that's where they th- I think that they think they can find people. And like, that's what Rowdy Tellez and not that they got him for nothing, but that's fundamentally what he kind of is, Uh, you know, a kind of a reclamation project um, who definitely brings some value kind of no matter what, maybe some upside, but like they think about how they go through first baseman just generally. It's like, uh, it's every year there's a new first baseman and it's, it's it's Aguilar, it's Travis Shaw moving over there for a little bit. It's, uh, it's Unieski Betancourt for some reason. It's, it's just all all (laughs) kinds of people. So um, I, I don't, see them doing anything other than that philosophically um you know they'll they'll shop for who's out there with platoon splits who um has some power and go with that um matt olson is kind of interesting just because he is a free agent in 2023 and is he's good and he plays for a cheap ass team so it's not like it's it's i like your idea it's it's not a bad idea i think he'll probably be available um but depending on how the a's go but uh um, I, I don't just don't think it's their MO to do that kind of thing most of the time. So, um, it, and I, I have no idea what training with the A's. I don't know what you, I don't know what you get to give away to get that something halfway decent, but, uh, um, but th- they don't do that. Like they're going to go scrap heap first baseman. Rowdy's probably going to be the incumbent and he'll, he, he might go full Jesus on us and they'll go to for somebody else. And that's, uh, that's how they roll. I mean, the Brewers tend to treat first basemen like you would like to see football teams treat run uh, treat running backs, that right? Well, like that is exactly like, what they do. They're abundantly available. There's no real sense in, in trading huge assets for it. So for that reason, I don't know if Matt Olson is somebody that would actually target Ryan. Do you feel differently? Yeah, this is a tricky one. You're getting two <laughs> years of Matt Olson and his platform year into. Uh, into uh, arbitration was five million and he had a five win season last year though that gets somewhat depressed by Oakland I don't know what is the arbitration estimate for him here it's got to be close to 10 million they're really going to want something good for him they are and then their fans mm-hmm. are going to demand it I don't know if they're going to yep. get it but like they're going to want something really really good for him I think you'd have to start with somebody like Aaron Ashby and probably go even beyond that. And is that something that's appetizing to Brewer fans? I don't know. They're not. Gonna, um, that's the thing. Like just saying it out loud, they're not going to give up a good asset for a first baseman. It's just not going to happen. Probably um, not. Probably not. Though Matt Olson is really good—a five-win first baseman. Like, yep. and it was actually a five-point-eight-win first baseman last year. Eighteen point one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is really good and would be a really big difference maker. And you talk about a guy who would be a big difference in, uh, in the AmFam field situation with, uh, <laughs> the, the short porch and right power. field. Yeah. That lefty <laughs> power, Paul, that would, that would really play up. I mean, he would, he hit 39 home runs in Oakland last year. Like he'd hit 50 in Milwaukee. 
And MLBTR's uh, arbitration projection for him, by the way, is only twelve million. So oh, so it was actually more. Well, I was saying ten, so it's even more yeah. than what I thought. But, like when you're talking five point eight win player, twelve million is is change. You know? yeah. like that's, that is true. That's fine. That is true. He had a poor season coming into like his his year coming into this. He had a 103 OPS plus in 2020 in the shortened season, which is so out of character for him. Like he had a 166, a 117, a 139, a 103, and now a 153 this year. That was like the worst thing that could happen to him because that's the year that sets up your arbitration clock like that's what that's what sets up what your arbitration is going to be right and that's the baseline so he really screwed himself over with a bad year in 2020 but that does then create some surplus value for oakland to be able to trade away and you know that they will be all over that they're not going to let surplus value go so yeah for a guy who was a six-win player last year and who's going to be caught who will cost 12 million and then you know some undetermined amount for the next year yeah, Ashby would be a starting place, and then you'd probably have to add yeah. to it. So yeah, I'm skeptical the Brewers would do it, but you know, you never know. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. It's just they're under so much pressure. Oakland is to kind of kickstart that rebuild with whatever they trade or or get for Matt Olson, right? So like him, him and and some of their other pieces, like they're gonna need to really kind of rebuild that system up too, and um. So I, I don't know if that's a match because, yeah, like you said, it's going to be Ashby and then something, you know, Ashby, maybe small, too. And then something else, you know, it, it's going to be something that's uncomfortable. And I mean, you have to get something or give something to get something. But eh, I don't know if the Brewers are in a spot to kind of do something like that. It would be a hell of a lot of fun. It's just it's it going it, to it cost something. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd still be it, it would be a pain to to pull off that trade but i'm i'm in favor of fun things and my favorite team doing fun things and getting awesome players so there you go well and you know when the the prospect hugger on the podcast me is kind of <laughs> going maybe, maybe you could see doing that like i'm not a hundred percent sold there are people who are very smart who i'm you know i i take their opinion very very well uh eric longenhagen and, and kevin goldstein were talking about how they think aaron ashby's future is the the good years of Josh Hader when we saw him as you know multi inning lefty reliever who shut people mm-hmm. down they're skeptical that he's going to get the command together to actually be a starter who can turn over the lineup multiple times so mm. in that case if that's what you if their internal eval on Ashby is that as opposed to the more optimistic outlook that say like James Anderson has mm-hmm. then I think you gotta think about doing that right like then it becomes a okay well maybe you can get something over on the A's not necessarily over on the A's but (laughs) you're you're at least in a position to maybe be dealing a prospect who is at a peak value which very well could be Aaron Ashby I'm not knocking him I'm not saying he's not good I'm not saying I'm not you know excited about his future or anything but there's a you know a, a substantial possibility here that we're looking at this as being the peak value of Aaron Ashby and that often does happen right when guys come up and when they show out and look really good the same way that say like Keston Hira did right <laughs> yes <laughs> if they had if they had done that with Keston Hira after the 2019 season you know people would have screamed you know bloody murder yeah. about it but now you'd look back on it and you'd go hmm 
that was maybe the right call. Or, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings sure. and everything's different. But still, it's <laughs> it, it, it's it's always difficult. But yeah, I, man, Matt Olson is really, really, really good. And I would be tempted to uh, to to see what that would take to bring him in. Yeah, instead of the butterfly effect, we have the Ashby effect here. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Uh, you know, maybe this is something too that maybe contributes to the Brewers' willingness to give up what it would take to get Maddelson. But our next question comes from uh, Ted Johnson here. It, it's actually uh, two parts, so we'll tackle part one first with you, Ryan. Uh, He's asking, can you comment on any of the international free agents the Brewers signed? Are there any that seem exciting? And Ryan, I know you were talking up a couple of the guys that they had signed here uh, before we started. Yeah, so there are definitely some guys here. Of course, the number one guy that they brought in is a guy from Venezuela, though this time it's a shortstop, uh, Johan Berrios, a shortstop from Venezuela. And they also have a a big-time... a big time shortstop from the Dominican Republic, which they have been less active in the Dominican Republic in terms of going after the top guys there and have had less success getting the top guys. Um, Johnny Severino baseball. America has Barrios at 20 and Severino at 23. So both guys, you well inside the top uh, inside the top 25 there. And then nice. if you look down further, um, baseball, America also had them with a Venezuelan outfielder, Luis Lara at, uh, uh, 38. So BA really likes their class from a depth perspective. You know, grabbing three guys inside the top 40 is definitely nothing to sneeze at. We will talk more about who those guys are, though, in the coming days, because uh, James Anderson and I are planning on recording this Wednesday, and we will uh, we will be doing a deep dive into this, and I will ask him what he has heard so far. You have to remember information on guys at this phase is often very sketchy. These guys haven't even played in the what's called tricky league down there yet. So <laughs> it's you're going to have to be patient and wait a little bit. But it is also a, a thing where it used to be that you had to wait a couple of years to really hear anything about any of these guys once they you know made their stateside debut in some form. Now there's enough people who are eyes on the ground down there who are looking and seeing at what's going on that you could start getting pretty good information of Hedbert was back when July two was still July two Hedbert signed on July 2nd and uh, the tricky league that fall, he was the talk of it. So that was already happening within just a few months of him signing. So you're going to have to be patient, but uh, yeah, there's, they've definitely uh, gone and signed some guys here. Nice. Uh, and and like you said, yeah, if you want to learn more, that $5 level of the Patreon, patreon.com slash MKE tailgate gets you that minor league extra. So uh, pretty uh, good price to, to get that kind of information and, and discussion on what we're looking at as the Brewers continue to kind of build up their international reputation over the last few years too. something that we haven't really seen in, you know, prior to the last decade or so. So it, it, it's good to see. Uh, Ted Johnson also, we should mention, has a second question here, and I'll just steer this one towards Paul because it is labor law related. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll go in that direction. So Ted's second question. Can you explain the ramifications of the MLB owners possibly negotiating in bad faith and the ramifications of that and remedies? 
Could the players union sue the owners for bad faith negotiation? Sorry, business law was never my thing. Great job, Paul, on <laughs> explaining the Commerce Clause last week, though. You did a better job than my constitutional law professor. Well, happy about that. Thank you, Ted. <laughs> All right. So um, there are two. Uh, there's probably more than this, but I'll keep it simple also because I don't know. Uh, there's two main kinds of bad faith negotiating, and they are distinct from each other. The first one usually involves like some kind of fraud where you would engage in negotiations with a company that you're going to acquire you would get a peek at their confidential information, then you'd break off the deal and use that information to better your own company. In that case, you would sue them for the damage caused via them stealing your secret. Um, that would be a lawsuit. Um, in organized labor, in, uh, in the situation between workers and management governed by the NLRB, things are a little bit different and bad faith has sort of a different meaning. Um, there are, when you're engaging in negotiations between union and management, things that you're obligated to negotiate and there are methods that you are obligated to use when negotiating them. Um, bad faith can arise when you just uh, refuse to negotiate on the required economic points. But the remedy is not, unfortunately, suing the other party. Um, it is going to the National Labor Relations Board and filing a grievance with them. And the remedies are not very good. Uh, to be perfectly frank, uh, they can order you to engage in more negotiating, which is stupid and pointless. Uh, they can, in very rare circumstances, uh, award the aggrieved side um, attorney's fees for the extra time spent doing this, some other minor fees. But there's not a huge cudgel that, that exists in labor negotiations to get things back on track. So um, it's uh, it's uh, it's one of those things where their powers have been limited over time. Uh, there's like a sub. So that's in sort of these big negotiations in like just a, a straight up like labor violation kind of thing. Uh, you'd see like back pay uh, or like double or triple back pay get instituted for an employee um, who was aggrieved in some way. That's still kind of a thing that exists. But on, on these contract negotiations, there's just not a lot that anybody can do. It's going to be pretty minor. It's going to be people being ordered to do things that they don't want to do. And that's kind of it. So sorry. No. <laughs> Ted, that's your answer. Can you help there me you out, go. Paul? I yeah. think that in 95, when Sotomayor shut down the um, the owners from just unilaterally saying that, uh, well, they declared an impasse and then we're going to unilaterally implement a salary cap. And yeah. I thought that Sotomayor, her order was that they had engaged in bad faith and that they basically had to go back to the table. And that's what gave the union the power that they needed to be able to just, you know, go back and, and renegotiate on firm, uh, fair footing as opposed to what had been happening before, which was the owners just saying, no, we're going to have a seller cap and whether you like it or not. Um, that may be the case, but the remedy still there was not owners pay the players a bunch of money or the players get to put in their own negotiation. The remedy was, you can't do that, go negotiate more. And that is what the remedy is. So they can do all the bad faith stuff that they want and it can get up to a Supreme Court justice, but the remedy is, is still... No, you can't do that. Go negotiate. No, you know they didn't pay any other penalty in addition to just being told no, and that's kind of the problem. Okay, thank you. There you go. No problem. <laughs> and this has been this week's law talk with Paul. And Newman. by the way, just yeah. it's it is it is a very technical um, definition of as to when you can declare an impasse and implement the last best offer. Um, people, uh, uh, companies try to pull that off with some regularity it's actually very difficult to do um and 
that that was not a case. It was an obvious case where the owners had overstepped. So, but but again, all they had to do is go back to the table. That's that was the only remedy there. So, there it is. Okay, <laughs> there it is. Done with labor. I I look forward to many more weeks of these conversations. Mm-hmm. So that'll be great. <laughs> all right, let's wrap up our Patreon questions with a a, a more fun one. Uh, we'll go back to Jay Google. He's asking. <laughs> What's your favorite player bobblehead date going into the 22 season? Uh, guys, I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about this Sunday, June 5th player bobblehead. But the sun- Sunday, July 24th player bobblehead also sounds really great to me. I'm a big fan of that uh, player bobblehead. But also there's that Sunday, September 11th uh, bobblehead to be named later. So that sounds appealing to me as well. Ryan, how about you? What's your favorite bobblehead player date so far? Yeah, uh, I was trying to figure out. So who are we sure they're going to do this year? Like Willie Adamas is a lead pipe cinch. He is going to have a bobblehead <laughs> this year, right? Uh, I think I think yes. Um, you can, I don't think you'd ever be too sure. But I, I mean, if I was wagering, I would put a lot of money on that. Yes, I think they'll be Willie. Probably yeah. Corbin Burns, I would say, is a a no doubter. Yeah, you got you got to get the Corbin Burns Cy Young, yeah. right? That, yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that's yeah. a, a no doubter and. Perhaps another hater one to celebrate the fact that he won his third reliever of the year award in four years. Maybe sure. something along those lines that they could do that. Yeah, I think we get less less certain at this point though, because mm-hmm. you, they could do they could they could always break out a random Lorenzo Cain just for longevity and getting old, or they you know there's some <laughs> some room here for You're getting old bobblehead. Yeah, yeah. There you I'm go. pretty sure yeah. Lorenzo had one in 2018, his first contract. He year. did. Well, he, he did. had one. He had one this past year because the uh, Bucks Championship uh, front page that I have advertises a Lorenzo Cain bobblehead oh, day for that okay. next Sunday. Okay, so. He there had one go. last year, so maybe yep. that. So he's probably off the table then. Yeah. 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 I wonder, like, is Luis All Star? Do you get all the All Stars? Do you get Narvaez? You Narvaez get would make sense. Yeah, Narvaez yeah. would make sense. You're right about that. I'm wondering, like, Urias. It'd probably be too soon for yeah. him. He had a good season, but not anything. Yeah, he's not a bobblehead season. Yeah. Not it's yet. not a bobblehead season. It's not a bobblehead. Season. <laughs> it's not a podium game. It's not a bobblehead season. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, we we probably talked about this much more seriously than Jay actually intended. The, the yeah. joke here is that the Brewers announced uh, their much anticipated list of bobbleheads, and uh, there are no player names because MLB is still being petty as hell about the entire thing. Well, that's not exactly true, James. Yeah, like, on the bobblehead, it's less true than the player p- pictures yeah, on the website. Yeah, because they they're not allowed to advertise with them and. You know, that's what this yeah. is. So, well, I'm no, because wasn't one of these it. things I'm looking at, I was trying to find it. Wasn't, didn't they announce one of them as a Robin Yount, or is it a jersey they're doing? It's a 1980s Robin Yount replica, replica jersey, jersey, I guess. Yeah. But also, that's the catch. It's like the same thing with the highlights on the page. They can show all the old players they want, they just can't show any mm-hmm. current players. So, that's your throwback element. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, it, it's just a continuation of the stupid pettiness and announcing any of that with no actual player names it's just a bad look i don't know well here's a shout for you uh what about freddie peralta has he had a bobblehead yet i think he should have a bobblehead i don't know if he's kind of i kind of i don't know i feel like he might have too because if he hasn't he should have one after what he did last year he was one of the top 10 pitchers Mm -hmm. in baseball he just happened to have two of the uh of the other you know guys ahead of him on his own team. Like I said, I, I'm sure we're going to get all the all-stars, right? And and Freddie would be in there on that. So Oh, yeah, yeah. he would There's be. That. Okay, yeah. 
So I don't know. All right. Uh, I, I guess we'll stay tuned and, and see um, also how much heads up that these manufacturers are going to have to create the first player bobblehead by May 22nd. And that that game may not exist. We'll see. Well, um, they've already ma- started manufacturing them. It's just a question yeah, of whether or not I they guess. get distributed this year or you know yep, next yep. year. Yeah. I mean, unless you subscribe to that conspiracy theory where there's just generic bobblehead templates and they spray paint on a number and, and call it a day. So there's that um all right twitter questions we got some to go through too as well we've got one from Derek core who's saying i write this after dusting off all my brewers giveaway bobbleheads hey <laughs> good transition there uh which i do once or twice a year if you collect all the bobbleheads from the brewers games i'm curious if there's a moment or a player uh you guys wish they did a bobblehead for so I guess, Paul, if there's a moment you could encapsulate into bobblehead form, I guess a la the, the Ryan. I got Brown one. I know, I, okay. I know exactly cool. what I would do. Go for it. Uh, I just have, I have to, it, it. It was Gene Segura who stole first backwards, right? Yes. Yes. I would like a bobblehead of Gene Segura sliding <laughs> into first base. First base. From um, the wrong way. <laughs> for, yeah. From far enough away where it's clear that it's from a steal and not from just going back from getting picked off. <laughs> I would like that moment commemorated. It will never happen again in the history of baseball because I think they actually changed the rules where you kind of can't do that. And uh, so I, I want I want that. I would like more ludicrous moments like that. The Brewers seem to have quite a lot of them. But yeah, I want Gene Segura sliding into first base from stealing it from second base backwards. That's what I want. How about the time Ryan Braun knocked out Gene Segura by swinging a bat in the dugout? <laughs> <laughs> Now there's quite possibly been one of also these. Also, bobblehead. Yeah, I think maybe already they did this. Is there a Prince Fielder bowling ball celebration bobble? Oh, that'd be a good one. I don't know if there is or not. There should be right. Like yeah, they should, really yeah. should definitely yeah. have that as a thing, or even yeah. some other. Like if it's not a bobble, some other like, like giveaway some statue or yeah, an yeah. NFT, you know, something. An NFT. <laughs> Maybe they'll they'll hand out actual bowling balls with that picture uh, on them, and then watch like people assault each other in the stands with bowling balls. Oh my god! I I have been to uh, some games where the giveaways have uh, gone bad, and you'll oh yeah. notice they I, don't do that, them anymore for Cubs games yeah. because Cubs fans were ripping the heads off of. Uh, their giveaways in 2008 when they were doing the the or 2007 whatever it was when they were doing the 25th anniversary of 1982 Cubs fans okay. were ripping the heads off of them and whipping them at people uh, and there were all kinds Lovely. of problems so yeah that they, they decided uh. not to do it anymore during Cubs games oh man I do yeah. I wish they get a little more creative with them too like the, the best thing ever is the euchre alarm clock and mm-hmm. I just wish they would like do I wanted that one so like, bad like yeah. that um, yeah, that one, that one I actually have. So, woo. Why well, have the um, Euchre talking <laughs> one where it's he has uh, five calls on there, and that's good. That's hit, excellent. Yeah, you hit the button and it's and it's Bob, you know, with his microphone in his hand, and then you hear the calls. You want to take a guess what the five calls are? Uh, get up, get up. No, no, yeah. I mean just there are five events in Brewers lore. Oh, oh, there's literally five. Okay, there's five events, and yeah, I, I. Oh, I wow. think you could get these, but what do you what do you think they are? If you had to pick uh, five events from Robin Bob Young's era, 3, hit. that is the number two one. I will tell you, okay. it's number yeah. two in the list. Okay. Um, the uh, the walk off thirteenth um, in a row victory. Mm-hmm. The that's Easter the first one. The, East, yeah. the Easter, okay. yeah, that's number one. Um, 
Um, Ryan Braun to put them in the playoffs home run. It is number three. All right. Um, okay. It gets a little tougher after that. Um, yeah, this isn't that hard. All right. Um, Winning the pennant? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. That, you'd have to go way back in time for that. Way back. They didn't. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if they didn't have good audio of that or whatever, but they did okay. not. Yeah, All they right. did not include the the call of was it the throw to Cooper, yount to Cooper yeah. or whatever that yeah. one. No, they didn't include that. They do like Molitor's thirty ninth hits on his hitting streak. No, okay. No, it's it's two more recent ones. They went uh, recent for the the last two. I have no idea. I can't think right now. So it's Niger Morgan. Niger Morgan. Driving oh, in. Yeah, 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 yeah. oh yeah. Go go. Okay. In two thousand and eleven. And then it is the catch at the wall by was it Keon Broxton uh, in oh. 2018? The the Josh Hader the pop up, catch. yeah, the one where it was you thought that ball might be going off of Rizzo's <laughs> bat, and then it didn't. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a good one. Okay, cool. I would I, w- I would really like that, and I, but I really wanted that Bob Uecker alarm clock. That's just genius. I I wouldn't be able to run it anymore but uh it'd be great okay um one last tour question before i kind of wrap things up here as we kind of wind down this week we've got one from anthony pollard asking can you guys touch on sarah goodrum and the step up in position she got with the astros ryan i know we've gotten some questions about that before i guess can you just kind of touch on what she'll be doing with the astros i guess compared to her role with the Brewers. Yeah, so with the Brewers, she was the roving hitting coordinator in the minor leagues, if memory serves correctly. I had to look up the Houston side mm-hmm. of it, but she was she was on coaching side in Houston, okay? So she was doing the coaching stuff where she was a roving coordinator for with hitting. The Brewers. Yeah. Yeah, and now with Houston, she is the director of player development. So she that is a front office role. So it is a it is a definite step up in the hierarchy for her, um, and would make her one of the highest ranked women in any because director of player development is that's a that's a person who is in the inner circle of the general man. You know when when they convene their top you know five six people or whatever that they're talking to, that's a person who I believe is generally in the room. So yep. it's it's up there. Possibly GM track too, right? And it's it's in that management role, like you said, more so than a coaching role. I think so. But best I can tell that this is more, yeah, this is getting more on the GM track than it is on the coaching track, which is where she was before. Though these things are all more flexible than they used to be. Right. People jump back and forth between them. We just saw... Um, Mark Kotze came off the the uh, the GM track to get the the coaching role, and so you see more of that. I mean, we heck, Craig Council never coached; was never a, yep. a, yeah, a manager true. or a coach before he became the manager of the Brewers, and mm-hmm. that caused a lot of consternation, especially amongst Keith Law. And uh, mm-hmm. it turned out that that was just fine; like he had exactly what he needed to be able to do that job. So. Yeah. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, thanks for all the questions this week, guys. As a reminder, as we mentioned off the top, you get question priority when you're a patron. That's patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Otherwise, you can uh, send us a question on Twitter like some folks did this week. That's at MKE tailgate on Twitter. You can also send the guys questions to Ryan's at RD top. Paul is at Badger Noonan as well. Uh, and we should mention, too, when you become a patron, you get a shout out here on this podcast when you sign up as well as an extra added thank you. Uh, nobody to shout out this week, but also if you want to help us out, uh, whether you're a patron already or not, we would appreciate it very much if you leave us a review and rating for this podcast. As a reminder, Paul will literally read anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. Uh, it doesn't matter what you type there. We'll just take that five star rating and, and help us out with all the apple algorithms or what have you so i guess you know we talked about formulas a lot that's that's one we care about so <laughs> give us a five-star review if you can and while you're there please do hit that subscribe button while you're there as well uh whether that's apple podcast spotify wherever else uh, just to make sure you don't miss a single episode you know baseball might be on pause but we'll be back every single week here uh paul any I, reviews to read this week i think we have one uh it's from january 10th and i don't think we did that last time so i don't think so all right so um it, it's from uh jared v uh, jared, jared vogeltons i would highly recommend listening to this podcast it is the best brewers podcast that i have found i started listening this last season and this show has made me more knowledgeable baseball fan and helped me increase my enjoyment of brewers baseball also becoming a patron is worth the five dollars a month keep up the great work I love it because it sounds like we wrote it. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm. Was not I did not write either. that. So I, did, yeah, I also nope. didn't write it. So that's nope. fine. I'm not thinking um, of a writer. So thanks, Jared, uh, for that. And, much appreciated. Uh, much appreciated indeed. So uh, yeah, a reminder: if you want to be like Jared, have your comment read on the air five-star review wherever you uh do that i think paul looks at apple Podcasts, so that'd be the preferred avenue if you do so. it on spotify shoot me something on twitter so that i know to look <laughs> yeah i i honestly have no idea how any of that works so uh yeah <laughs> please do uh yeah apple podcast spotify wherever um you get your podcast and hit that subscribe button while you're there uh as always thanks everybody for listening we'll wrap things up this week but we will be back next week for another episode here on milwaukee's tailgate stay well everyone and have a good week